1: Well, we heard this week that the Premier League are hopeful that they'll be able to finish matches in June, though other sources suggest that it might be nearing the time when the competition is declared over. I don't know about you, but if the football authorities choose that second option, then it's a shame. We just can't have been able to tell who would have won the title, could we? Uh, In all seriousness, though, (laughs) with the coronavirus pandemic continuing, it's important that everything is done to minimise the spread, and football has to be an afterthought. We'll be talking about that feeling on this week's Blue Moon podcast, so welcome to the show, where we can't really decide what is and what isn't worth talking about. Also on this week's episode... We'll be looking in-depth at the Academy and catching up with our EDS man on the spot, Sean Blinkhorn. Plus, we'll hear again our interview with Nicholas Anelka. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me this week is City fan Stephen McInerney. You alright, mate? I'm not too bad, thanks. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm just bobbing along. Good stuff. Yeah. Now I, I've, I've been watching some of your videos about how you've been feeling about the coronavirus pandemic, largely because uh, a lot of the anxieties and worries that you've had, um, I've also had. So yeah. I just wanted to kind of get into that a little bit before before we uh, before we kick off. Um, why, why have you decided to start keeping a, a like a video log day by day? Um, I'll be honest. I've kind
2: of gone slack on it now, but like initially, um, it was just my own sanity. I don't know about you. But I handled it really badly initially. Like, um, I just kind of went into a bit of panic i think a bit of shock about everything because it's weird isn't it when i guess you i, I mean in every single way i was fretting about every aspect of life um financially I've, i'm i'm losing an awful lot from this now unfortunately there's nothing I can do about it either um so that kind of hit home and then my parents were still working and my dad is high risk and then yeah. i immediately go into like um immediately went into defense mode and i was obviously you start to i mean i've calmed down an awful lot since then but I found personally the best way to kind of uh deal with it all was just uh it's almost like shouting at a wall, you know, like you just kinda of need to kinda of get it out. So I just kinda of put loads of things in a video diary, which I've I've if I've been being honest, my urge to do has kind of died down since I've started to feel a bit better about everything. It's weird how quickly you start to adapt to the new norm, isn't it? But it is, yeah.
1: In terms of of, of worries and stuff like that though, it it's like what are you, what are the worries? Is it is it about your health, is it about the health of your friends and family? Is it uh, is it kind of like how long this is going to last for, that sort of thing? I
2: mean, it's everything really, isn't it? But I mean mainly um I'm I'm a very emotional person. I'm a soft ass basically, but I no one tends to worry about themselves usually, you know. Um people tend to just worry about the people around them. Um and my parents, like I mean, I'm at the age now. I'm, I'm 34, and this year we're meant to be getting me and my my missus are meant to be getting married, which I'm not. I don't even know that's going to happen anymore. But yeah, I like I'm, I'm per- it's a very personal thing. But basically, I I can't wait for my parents to be the grandparents to my children. You know, like um, they've got my sisters and all that kind of stuff. But my sister, I love it a bit. She's just a bit like you know, very regimented and very like see she you can see the kids on certain days, and it it, it kind of um it's it's been a little bit like a little bit awkward every now and then and she won't be listening to this as I don't mind saying (laughs) but um but but I can't wait to have grandkids so my parents can just have you know, you see my kids because I know how much they, they're they excited by it. And so, as soon as this happened in my head, I was thinking, Oh my God, like, what if my parents are around for my wedding or for me having grandkids or, you know, so or for me having kids so they can't be grandparents? And I know that sounds really kind of, uh, it's very bleak, but you, you start, your head starts to go to all these places. And I'm very much the kind of person who thinks about every conceivable outcome and tries to work out how to fix it. And then all of a sudden you realize, Oh, wait, you can't fix this. And I think part of my brain, was like, well, this is shit. I normally can fix things that I, you
1: know, like a yeah. Or you can, you can then, kind of work harder and get things the yeah. way you want them, or you can control them. Yeah.
2: And I guess at the point when I, when it all started happening, my parents were still in work. My dad, like um. He he's a surveyor engineer, he's going around garages and stuff like that, so surrounded by the kind of people who were still going to the pub still probably. Um, even though he, took, he was taking it seriously, nowhere near seriously enough, and my mum works in retail in the traffic centre, so I was thinking, they're both you know, just literally people facing jobs, and I yeah. was shitting it, and... Um, that just shook me because all the foundations of the, everything I'd put into place I, in my head. I was like, I started 2020 thinking this is going to be a great year. I'm going to get married. I've, <laughs> I've, I've, ne- I've nearly saved for a mortgage. We'll be getting a house, and me and my missus are probably even ready to have kids next year, in 2021. And everything felt so secure. And my job, I decided to go full time on my YouTube channel. And then in the case in the st- inside in my head at least inside one month, my I, uh, I decided to go full time on my YouTube channel about a month before this all kicked off, and i had lost all my channel sponsors i was like oh god yeah. i've lost like lots of revenue all of a sudden and then all of a sudden my wedding's up in the air i'm gonna have to start going into my mortgage savings and then but most importantly i was thinking oh my parents health, and i can't do anything and i can't see them you know i can't yeah. even see my parents and i'm a big family guy so i just handled it badly i handled it badly but i think a lot of us did you know and i'm not trying to say my circumstances are a use of any a use uh sorry are, are um unique or anything like that but Personally I like to I like to talk about things, so I like to get them off my chest and that's how I deal with stuff. So I know a lot of people have stoic and stiff up a lip and all that, but I I go mad unless I get it off my chest so. Well,
1: this, this is kind of the reason I wanted to talk about this on on, on this week's show because like I, it's it's a very similar kind of experience for me and, and what my worries are one one of the things that I am really missing at the moment is it, it's just that that human contact with people who yeah. don't live in my house I mean I've, I've literally yeah. like I, it was it was only a month again like yourself before um, the shutdown happened that you know me and my partner completed on our house so, you know, I've not, I've not been able to see my parents. I've not been able to see my grandmother who has, who has been isolated. And then when you FaceTime them and you, and you speak to them, it is, it, it's good, but it's not the same. And it's, no. I, I, and I, like, I, 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 I hear from my grandmother about how she's feeling down today because she's not seen anybody or or that sort of yeah. thing, and and you know you flip that on the on the other side and, and say well you know the weather's nice and on a nice day we'd go out in the you know into the park or something like that, but we, we it's not something that we can do as a family anymore, and no. so I I I completely understand where you're coming from, and I'm, and I'm hoping that a lot of people listening to this will also kind of have those same sort of feelings, and I'll I'll make the appeal again, we said it on last week's show, and I'll, and I'll do it again on this week's show, if you are one of those people who is who is relying on on something like Twitter or, or or Facebook for your your social activity, and you are feeling lonely, get in touch with the podcast. We'll put you in touch with other City fans who can who can talk about football, who can you know, reminisce about the about the good times yeah. because it, it's important to I, I think talk about things that aren't necessarily news because i was one of the questions i was going to ask you if you found it easier since um I, maybe you use social media less or maybe you, you read less news or watch less less news on tv that sort of thing does that does that help you kind of kind of put, uh, keep everything in perspective it's i
2: mean the weird thing is like initially it's I, I, you kind of stuck between mindsets i found personally like the way i deal with things is to absorb as much information as possible that's how i try and solve or fix any problem in life. And um, so it's a really horrible situation where it's where Uh, my thing that I do to kill spare time is go on social media. But that was consequently also becoming the thing that was making me anxious while also being the thing that maybe was feeding information that my subconscious felt was useful to try and defend me and my family, if that makes sense. So you've got a really bunch of very mixed messages there because if I don't go on social media or the internet, I feel like I'm ignoring potential life-saving information because you never... I mean, even though it may seem a bit hopeful um like you know a bit naive or something like to hope to find something, but in my head I was thinking, well, what if um someone finds some kind of something something anything that can help or maybe increase your chance of survival by not point not one percent I need to know about that basically, that's how my head was working, so I was constantly searching, and the anxiety was constantly raising um I mean, I feel personally like a little bit better now, I feel like everyone I know and love is behind locked doors um it's almost like um and it's been i've been counting the days since they were last at work and uh, i know it sounds really obsessive but it's been (laughs) like you know two and a half weeks now since my parents were last at work and i'm thinking well if they caught anything at work they probably would have it by now so uh, like i started to make you feel better but even last night i had a flare-up because i think my my uncle is showing symptoms and she, my uncle lives with my my mum's sister and my mum's really close to her and now my mum's panicking and I had three or four days of feeling relatively decent by everything and then all of a sudden, you know, it's all flied up again. And and I guess every now and then as well, um, you, you just got to realise you wake up and you feel like you feel normal and I think the thing I've struggled about is waking up feeling normal then remembering things aren't normal, Um, which is a bit, I mean, once again, you're kind of helpless and you think, I'll wake up feeling good today and then you go... Oh, I actually can't really properly go pro- properly go outside. Or I can't really see my mum and or my dad or anything like that. Or my brother or my little nephew and niece and or any of my mates. And I keep struggling with the acceptance that there's no no real extra strategy either. And I'm also I don't know if anyone else, but I feel like I'm getting a little bit agoraphobic. Um, you start to like when I go out now. I'm like I just I think everyone looks like a you know nuclear bomb to me at the <laughs> when I walk outside. Like I'm just scared of going near people. The, the one like, thing I
1: will to... say about about going outside is uh, the one thing I've made sure to do is I uh, li- regular listeners will know. La- um, last week I, I was still isolating. I was uh, I I had a cough, yeah. but I don't know I don't know if I've had COVID nineteen. I know I've had a cough, so I was isolating. Um, but since my isolation's finished i've been going outside and, and going for a, a a long walk every day and the one thing i will say is uh, certainly around uh, where i live there's there's a lot of people who are taking this very seriously and it's it's very little things like uh you see somebody who's walking the other in the other direction one of you will cross the road and one of you will will kind of make make space for the other one or if there's a narrow narrow yeah. gap one thing I've noticed is that people are quite happy to step to one side while you walk through and, and just keep that two metres apart from everybody. And it feels like that that there is a community spirit amongst this. So I'm not, like, it doesn't feel that, since I've been going out and, and getting fresh air every day and, and, and actually doing some exercise, I've been feeling a lot better about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely things that everyone should be doing. I mean, I, I, it depends, I guess, I live in the city centre, and um, it feels like a week ago everyone was that doing that an awful lot better, than they are today. It's almost. I do feel like it slacked a little bit. Um, and I saw. I, I, I say I, mean, I saw your video. It was very much yeah, like the, the
1: start of Twenty Eight Days Later or The Walking dead. dead It was weird.
2: And, I mean, yeah, and but that was only a week and a half ago or whatever. But to, yeah, I went to the shops yesterday. I mean, I think the mistake I made is I went at five o'clock when everyone had finished work. You know, <laughs> and people still, and it was just the amount of obviously new runners around, which is they're totally entitled to do, but they don't make they were it's almost like it's the runners who don't seem to make any concession of space because they've got headphones on it's like come on you're panting you're you should be in the middle of the road because there's no cars you know (laughs) but um it it, it definitely i'm gonna personally go for walks during the daytime now on because i I can't go around five six o'clock anymore because it's just too stressful everyone's taking everyone's having the same idea to go out um but yeah i mean i think largely most people are trying to respect it but i think Sadly, um, it does also shine a light on how many idiots there are. Like you know, not everyone, of course, but there's just as many idiots as people who aren't idiots, unfortunately. And those ones are a little bit less aware of some people's space. But I think we are all. I mean, a lot of us, I think, are probably getting a little bit more used to this now. Um, it's just, uh, I guess, a way I'm trying to look at it is um, uh, with my parents. Is I'm back at university again, you know, <laughs> so I'm not going to see him for a few months or something like that. Because um, you know, when you're at uni, sometimes you don't see your parents for a couple of months or whatever. Uh, I'm trying to look at it that way.
1: Yeah. I, I was gonna say in terms of, of actually creating your city content as well, um you were talking I I'd seen you either tweeting or talking recently about how it feels quite trivial at the moment, about how oh, yeah uh, it, it just like you can't decide on what is and what isn't important. And I can absolutely one hundred percent relate to that because let's be honest, nobody really cares about the football at the moment, do they?
2: No. No, I mean I'm sure you've noticed the same if we're being honest, like I <laughs> I one of the sponsors of my channel um i had a target which i was it was I probably could have reached um i probably would have reached it just about i mean i'm looking now if i'm getting twenty percent of that target in terms of views you know which is which is a ridiculous drop you know in terms of where i'm at and I don't blame people for not wanting to watch football because I don't really want to talk about football, you know? So, like, I, I mean, it's got a little bit better recently, a tiny bit better. I think people have adapted. I feel like in the last few days, people are adapting a little bit more. And, I mean, I think the, hurt, the hunger's still not there, but I think people are more willing to talk about football now on Twitter and things like that, at the very least. Um,
1: it's, a very, it's a nice but, escape, I think. That's, that's, that's the way I'm yeah. looking at it at the moment. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But, I mean, for the first two weeks initially, I mean, it's the last thing I wanted to do. I felt, it felt like I was being stupid. I felt like I was being childish doing it, which is probably not even fair myself but I felt like what am I talking about football for I don't give a shit about football now I all care about is my family you know there's much more important um,
1: things going on isn't there
2: yeah exactly but I mean eventually you can only really be that that kind of tense I guess for so long before you start to make yourself ill and I mean it's really awful that you get used to get used to seeing these numbers and all these deaths and stuff like that but we're pretty strong we're pretty strong species in terms of the way we deal with things and where we cope with them. And I guess we normalize things for a reason. We don't normalize these numbers of deaths because we're cold-hearted and callous. We we do it because, well, we're, we're trying to survive, you know? And there's there's no... I mean, it doesn't help to be constantly uh, mortified. And, and every time I do see these numbers come through, I do... It does make my chest go tight but i feel guilty sometimes for it being less tight than it was a week ago you know yeah and Yet the numbers have gone higher that doesn't even make sense like how, how am i less anxious now than i was a week or two ago despite the numbers being much higher and I, I can only presume it's because our body gets used to it because we have to adapt and we have to carry on moving and um it's a weird one because don't forget anyone knows what to do anyone
1: yeah well, and well that's
2: that's a strange strange time to be in isn't it
1: yeah, well, while we're talking, we touched a little bit there on on making football content, and while we're on City, it, we, we've had the sad news this week that Pep Guardiola's mum passed away after suffering with coronavirus. And uh, Stephen, I suppose that makes it, it harder as well when it's a famous person that you have a connection to that that yeah. that, that has bad news like that.
2: Well, it's um, it's it's it, of course it strikes some um, when it's someone you kind of know if you don't know if you know what I mean and. Um, uh, it just goes to show doesn't it um and we all know this but there is no there is no one um who is not at risk from this um and uh pep's mom i mean we saw the pictures on social media afterwards of pep and his mom together and she looks she looks sprightly you know and it's hard not to get um i don't <laughs> try and get too emotional over this but it's hard not to feel really sorry because we know pep's got a beautiful young family and uh that's his family and that's his mum, and uh you can't help but not think about your own mum. then you know um (laughs) i'm gonna make myself upset thinking about it but it's awful it's truly awful and then and then you see it going for people in immense positions of power like our prime minister and you think i mean that that's the most terrifying terrifying thing about it so far for me um when he gets to the prime minister the person that you think is is, no one should be safe and no one should probably have access to better treatment than the prime minister whether you agree with or not it's inevitable because of his position of power um, and it, even he, you know, in intensive care. And that's when it strikes home because it's scary. It's scary. And uh, it's just, you see the photo of Pep and his mum together and you're like, well, that's that should still be happening. You know, they should be still together, but...
1: Yeah, it's awful. It's, it's really it, awful. It, it's sadly not um just on city as well they, they don't always get things right and we're always very quick to criticize when they don't get things right so we should be equally quick to praise them when they haven't used things like the government's furlough scheme um that it was good to hear that the club are, are not going to do something like that
2: yeah it's lovely i mean i've seen a lot of people and this is not it's not a liverpool thing i'm not going to try and just point the fingers at liverpool only i think there's a lot of clubs who would who have been waiting to see what would happen you know um to, to make the choice and We don't know if City would have done the same thing if Liverpool hadn't, you know, we we just don't really know who would have done what or not. But I don't really, I've seen a lot of people looking to defend clubs that do this, um, saying their businesses too. And while, while I get that sentiment, I think football clubs are different Um, and I think football clubs usually spend a lot of time talking about how different they are and how important to society are and they spend a lot of time uh, trying to win the hearts and manipulating to be honest manipulating the support of fans by knowing how much they love the club and so getting them to pay Inexorbitant amounts of money to go and watch the team they love, and clubs are very happy to usually milk that connection with society to financial gain. So I think it would have been more immoral for clubs to, um, for Manchester City to do it. Thankfully, they haven't. But it would be more immoral, and it is more immoral when clubs use the furloughing because um, because they are they are different, and they have to accept that if they want to uh, be special and unique and all that kind of stuff, they're gonna have to accept that they have to act differently to other businesses as well. And I think it would have been totally irresponsible. Um, to get um, fans essentially to chip in and pay the wages of uh, clubs that have, you know, such visible millionaires that we all idolize, and most businesses, McDonald's can't be compared to Liverpool because McDonald's doesn't have a bunch of millionaire figure icons. You know that um, I'm sure Ronald McDonald doesn't count, one, <laughs> but like he doesn't like you know, uh, but they don't have like they don't have that kind of status. Um, it's very different, you know, and I think that the, the the way that football clubs integrate society makes them. Um, it marks them out to be treated differently, um, both fairly uh, and unfairly. I guess some ways, there that the club would argue, but I mean, I think it's 100% awful that any club would furlough at the moment um, without first talking to their million millionaire shareholders and players because um, they have to be more socially aware. Because clubs have a bigger impact on the individuals of uh, the minds of people in this country than more or less anyone else. They football is that omnipresent in this country, and I think they have a responsibility to lead from the front
1: yeah um, uh, we've been talking about your videos where can people go and find them if they if they want to have a watch of them
2: uh, youtube.com forward slash esteemed company with a K company uh, as in Vinny um, it's just um, keeping up with football you know like everyone else is doing just trying to create some city content lots of lists and all that kind of stuff I guess at the moment um, but it's also a good way to chat to some city fans in the comments and hopefully uh, just a good way to keep people's minds off things so I do think there's an element of just trying to act normal is actually good for you Apparently, called to say if you, if you try and fake normalcy, eventually you start to believe that it's actually normal. So I used to feel
1: like, just... I, I like that with public speaking and radio speaking. I just used to pretend it's that true, I was confident it? and then suddenly I became confident. It's weird, yeah.
2: Well, that's it. They say you can trick your mind to believe something. So if you act normal, if you, if you watch the films you like, if you talk about football and you play the games you like and you, and you act like the normal is to speak to your parents every day on FaceTime or whatever, then eventually you'll be like, yeah, this is it. and This works and you can develop a new routine. So I, I'm not just saying this for any i'm saying this for everyone's sake really like i don't do believe people should just try and carry on while obviously you know respecting the social distancing and all that can be sensible but try and get on with life because um because there's not much else we can all do you know we've got to look after each other and just get on with things because otherwise we'll all go insane (laughs) so we've we've just got to keep uh, finding things to distract us i think there's never been a better time to try and find things to distract us at the moment than there is now
1: Well, speaking of distractions, uh, we're going to have some fun uh, because every guest uh, on the show now is doing the toilet roll kick-up challenge, and we've got a Blue Moon Podcast leaderboard. Uh, so, Stephen, I'm going to ask you to go and get a Lou roll because it's your shot at <laughs> it now. That, yeah. Um So, uh, go go get yourself a loo roll. So uh, you get one shot at this. Uh, give us a count out loud as you do it, just to give you some numbers to start with. Top of the leaderboard so far is Richard Burns. He's got eight. Uh, second is Optus Duncan Alexander with four last week, and then I'm on a paltry three at the bottom. So three will get you into the medal places uh, 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 as it stands. Okay.
2: I am wearing slippers and I've got no space in my flat, but I'm going to give this a go. Cause I it's can't. Going to be interesting. I, I can't
1: wait for this. So uh, give us a count out loud in your own time. Off you go. Right. I'm
2: going to go for it now. Three,
1: two, one, one, two, two, two. <laughs> two, so I'm my, I'm safe in my uh, in my bronze medal position. <laughs>
2: I mean, I predicted that correctly. I'm going to have another go just for a second, but you can keep the two as... Um, can, you do, can you use your knees?
1: Uh, yeah, as long as you keep it off the floor with a hit, then it's it, as long as it's ah, not I'll your hands, you, it's please. like, yeah, it's fine.
2: Two's the first guy. I'll take that one because i have another go. One, two, three, four, four second time. and yeah, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. But the two is the kind one, unfortunately.
1: Two it is. Uh, so I, I've kept hold of my uh, my bronze medal position just. So um, unlucky on that one, Stephen. You must have been
2: practicing with eight. You must have been practicing. Uh, that's well, the first time I tried it. I
1: was going to say, R- Richard. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me to find out if he had been practicing. You know, um, that's that, that's yeah. the sort of thing he would do behind closed doors. Uh, right. Well, yeah. so, uh, football might be on hold, but everything is being prepared behind the scenes for when the season can be resumed or when the next season can kick off. That includes everything at the EDS, and I've been speaking to Sean. Blinkhorn to catch up about one player who's recently joined from Scotland.
3: I wanted to talk a little bit about Liam Smith. He was recently signed from Kilmarnock. He'll go into the under-18s, uh, assuming that we all go back to normal from July. Um, he's So he is a Scottish player. Um, I reckon he is our first Scottish signing since... David? Um... I'm
1: gonna, I'm gonna guess. Andy Morrison was was a Scottish international, wasn't he? I believe so. I think. And they signed him be... in '98. So I'm gonna say, I'm, I'm gonna say, Andy and Morrison's not. He's not like, typically Scottish. If you want, if you want to play with a Scottish accent, I don't know. Probably Dickoff.
3: I think that's what it is. I think Paul Dickoff returned. I think we re-signed him in about 2001. Oh, we did. Um, that would have been Stuart Pearce, actually. So said it would have been 2006. Was it a bit later than that? Yeah. Right. Well, around that time, I think Dickhoff's return anyway, was our most recent Scottish signing. So that's a long time ago. Yeah. And, and we're seeing a lot of that with the the home counties in general, We we kind of don't really see much about from other than England anymore. There's been a bit of a resurgence of Scottish talent recently. If you look at Andy Robertson or John McGinn or Anyone along those sort of lines, and then anybody again who saw Billy Gilmore's performance for Chelsea in in the FA Cup game against Liverpool, they they would have seen a player, a technically gifted, very sound player for uh, I think he's seventeen, um, who almost definitely looks a potentially world class player. Let's say uh, who just happens to be Scottish. I don't get it though
1: because I mean. Scotland are rubbish. <laughs> I mean, do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, they haven't been in a, a tournament since nineteen ninety eight. The Scottish national side. So, they, I think in about two thousand and twelve, they tried to they've come together and 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 tried to plot a way out of that to try and change the the culture, and as a consequence, then the results that they're getting. Um, they've, they've set up something called the SFA Performance Schools. I wanted to talk a little bit about those because it's its development for players between the ages of 11 to 16 at seven separate schools so away from the academies and on top of club academy coaching and it's like it's around 8 800 hours they offer of extra individual focused training to what they class as an elite talent and i don't know how they define an elite talent obviously as as part or parcel of parcel of the job I think Malky Mackay is in charge at the top of the SFA's performance these days. Well, he, he must have had some part in that. Somebody else runs the schools. Um, so, yeah, it's, I just thought it was an interesting way to go about things, to take players away from and s- academies and focus on the individual traits. Uh, in fact, Liam Smith himself, he's on record saying uh, the main thing that helped him was the training away from the club so the kind of individual focus thing you hear a lot about um, clubs down here the players are you know the individualities coached out of them or you know something like something like that they're not allowed to express themselves and this I think from what I've read is the idea of the performance schools
1: I think that's that's an interesting look as well. When you consider like City CFA is it's kind of built for there to for the for the players to want nothing. They've they've got absolutely everything they should want and need to develop into footballers. When actually what what might benefit them in this system is is the ability to to kind of find out on their own and learn on their own, sort of thing.
3: Yeah, and what if at any particular club, it doesn't have to just be City. What if at that particular academy you are they are bred to play a certain way? Which then does them no favours for the rest of their career. You know, they'd slip down the leagues and all they you know how to play is Tick Attacker, a team that's playing up. You know, it's that I think obviously the idea is not to have them slip down a league. Yeah, at first glance, it, it could it could be beneficial to, to players that are outside of the elite academies in the first place. That's the first thing I thought. I thought, oh, if you play for. our... Um, say an Aberdeen or a Kilmarnock or down here you played for, I don't know, a Sunderland or, you know, you. if the FA were then to step in and take them away from those academies and give them some extra coaching, it might be their only um, route into some elite coaching. But the S- S- SFA, they're actually looking at it slightly differently. They're saying, okay, you'll get top academy coaching at Rangers, at Celtic, at Aberdeen, at, even at Kilmarnock. But what we want to do is we want to take you away from that And we want to create the elite player, regardless of the club situation. So I think that's a really interesting situation. I was wondering whether it could work away from Scotland. The idea that, okay, you're going to get pro elite level coaching from your club. But also, can we refine you individually? Can we get you to a level that you're performing? That kind of your club, not irrelevant, but your club development is complemented, let's say. So I'd, I was really interested by this. I mean, like you say, the, Billy Gilmore, I think, he's one of the most recent uh, graduates. They still haven't had anyone from this programme move on to the national team, but they've had plenty make the first, the senior debuts. And, you know, we're really, uh, for, for a programme in its infancy, we're really starting to see more and more. And for a, Liam Smith to be our first Scottish signing since around the mid-2000s. I think it's something that we're going to see a lot more of going forward.
1: So let's let's talk a little bit about Liam Smith, because um, from, well, I'll be honest with you, Sean, I know absolutely nothing about him. He's, he's just turned 16?
3: Yes, he he's turned 16 this season. I was about to say that he'd be sitting his GCSEs about now, but he's obviously not. He? <laughs> they're, they're literally not happening. <laughs> yeah, they're absolutely cancelled. So um, he will go into the under-18s, this coming season if whenever it starts he from what i've heard he's a winger a quick feisty winger with lots of technical ability like you'd expect from someone who has had elite level coaching to a sort of almost to an unprecedented level because I'm, I'm not i haven't heard of any national programs to go along and complement uh, academy side uh, training programs so this is this is this is extra specially interesting to me um like i say we've there's a couple of scottish lads in the academy already but one was born down the road from me and one was born in oldham so i don't count them this is our first attempt our first chance to see how the sfa's new direction is going um alongside watching the performances of gilmore and hopefully liam smith will be one to really blaze a trail for a, a new resurgence in Scottish football.
0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
3: Sean Blinkhorn
1: talking to me there. Stephen, since you're our guest this week, I'd like to touch on a discussion that I saw you having on, on Twitter recently, all sparked off by the idea that John Godetti is only 27. Yeah. What do you think it says about our academy that there have been so many next big things that have not made it through to the first team properly?
2: um i think we really 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 fall down on the the whole finishing process um and i think we i think it's the one kind of black mark against our f- football operations i guess in general uh and there's there's a there's a notable pattern i mean if you pay uh enough attention to the academy I, i've probably been paying attention in, with intent for about 6 years now i'd say and um there's such a i can't i feel bad being so cynical but you see it, you see the pattern repeat itself over and over again. But what happens is we get a bunch of very talented young players who are ripping up, um, you know, ripping up in wherever they're going to be. They might be, might get a kid for 14 from Spain or something like that. And then we'll get, you know, we sign some wonder kid from QBR, something like that at 15. And then you'll see our Academy sides under 16s beat everyone, seven, eight, no, then we'll see him win the FAU cup and we'll see him being when the one that, you know, go really far in other tournaments. And, um, They'll do all this kind of stuff they'll star and they'll refer them to pieces and Then what happens is they usually get sent out on a loan and that usually fails um for whatever reason that loan seems to end up you know with them getting about two starts and then three or four substitute appearances and never playing again, or you know this is the odd exception, of course, there always will be but we seem to be very bad at picking the loans for these players and then it's not only that to... though
1: I always feel like if a player goes out on loan from city that's that's generally it for their city career
2: well I mean that's pretty much meant to be it apparently so they, they apparently want the players i mean there should there will be obviously exceptions but the the acceptances are largely apparently within the you know CFGs that they are going out on loan they're probably never going to come back unless there's exceptional circumstances and which um which is weird but i i I think we're very bad at, um Striking where the iron's hot. I think there's certain times where some players can only do so much, where you just have to throw them into you know into the first seat football for just ten minutes, you know, on the bench off the bench or whatever, uh, in some kind of cup game, even at the seventeen, just to see what can happen. Um, and there's there's so many players where they were not. Look at Rashford at United, right? He genuinely wasn't a star for the academy teams. He just wasn't. He wasn't seen as that by anyone. Everyone was kind of surprised what happened. Um, he was he only really got his chance in the first team because a couple of Academy players were injured who were ahead of him. Like, that's genuinely a thing. And he, for whatever reason, just adapted to life around better players and first team football really well. And maybe he had that dormant ability there anyway. But the point is, like, um, um, world-class talent, uh, I mean, usually, what talent improves along side world class training and world class world class players. I do believe that, and I think you have to put um, the best young players around the first team as soon as possible, so they get uh, access to coaching from Guardiola, so they get to learn from David Silva and Aguero and stuff like that. And I think we're very bad at knowing, or maybe being bold enough to say, "Look, I'm sorry, we're one we're, City, had, I don't know, at one point Guardiola, when we we're Guardiola and we're 20 odd points ahead in the season." Like um, they could have said at some point, right, Sterling, you played loads, here, you won loads, you're gonna you're gonna sit off the bench this week, and we're gonna put in, you know, we're gonna put in one of the kids on the bench just because this is it. every now and then one of you guys every two or three games will have to sit off the bench because we're going to win comfortably and we're already well out in front and bring them on i do believe we should do that because i think we could surprise ourselves the amount of stars potentially that we could have but i mean i don't think they really particularly care because why would you when you've got that much money to spend on players you know um i think clubs can be quite lazy when they've got money to take the easy way out and um i'm not really having it that other clubs have better academy prospects than us we're happy to buy these plays when you're in the 20s 21 or whatever but why can't we just make themselves are you telling me that um you know Schalke's academy where we've got Sarney from is any better facilities than manchester City's? of course it doesn't you know yeah it's just um we just we're not we're very willing unwilling for whatever reason to do the hard work ourselves and i think we lack decision making um for, for loans and I also i think the coaching level when he reaches the eds is pretty poor Um, we said a bunch of uh, I said Harsley was Lee Harsley was terrible um, uh, they've had um, uh, Simon Davis at one point he was just terrible Jenny just poor uninspiring coaches and that's not me just trying to say it's because he didn't get any results but you can just watch him you, know, you see he's yeah, I mean, remember Simon Davies? He would spend ninety minutes sat on the bench with his arm crossed, and like that's not coaching, you know, that's just not coaching. Then you'd watch the under 18s and Jason Wilcock at this point would be the manager, and he'd be there literally up and down the touchline talking to players constantly. You could hear everything he said to him because it's you know there's not many people there and stuff like that. Um, and we just, I don't know, we got a lot of yes men basically in the academy, and I think. I mean, a lot of people don't care, which is fair enough, but I think we should be better than that. Uh, the, the, this because... Well, I was going to say, in, in
1: terms of, of what the academy does and, and their focus, what, what should it be? Should it be getting City's, uh, players to City's first team or should it be creating these players a career in football or should it be simply creating talent that, that City can sell to generate some income or, is, or should it be a, like a healthy mixture of the three? Yeah, it should be all of them, but I think the focus... I mean... The most
2: important one is clearly making them be ready for the first team because if you do that, you're setting them up to a higher level, you know, than in the other categories at all. So if you're trying to get them whatever way you can to be good enough for the first team, well, you're aiming to be a star. And if you aim to be a star and four, you're going to be a B plus. You know what I mean? Where if you're aiming just to get a career in football, you're only aiming really to be, you know, a C, you know, a C grade. And then you might, if you don't reach that, you're going to end up being a D grade or whatever. So I always think you should aim to get the best out of them in every way possible, and then. If, uh, I mean, you've seen at United over the years. United a great example where Ferguson used to give like some random kid two or three games and then sell him for four million. You know what I mean? Um, he they was were, they were so good at that. And um, City could add. Um, when we're selling these young players, we could add literally a, a three or four million to their value by giving them just a couple of substitute appearances. It sounds insane, but it's that easy. It's that easy. Genuinely done, because people want the academy prospects who played. Even if just for you know, a total of 180 minutes, um, we play for Manchester City because um, you're giving them a profile. You're saying, look, well, they they played in the Premier League for Manchester City, maybe only a couple of substitute appearances, but they you know they've done it at that level then, and their value rockets. And from a business perspective as well, if we're trying to sell these players, increase their profile. We can easily do it without um, without uh, it costing our results because um, well, because other clubs do it, you know. So why yeah. can't we? Um, I mean a lot of people just a lot of people aren't really asked but personally i feel football's better when you've got your own uh, playing for the team and i think trophies mean more and i think actually if you can get a bunch of academy players who you know who can have that an academy player who's got um loads of ability is better than just a player who's got loads of ability because they care more about the team don't they i think that's um you know foden reaching foden reaching his potential and coming from city's academy is better than just uh, a player foden's quality because he cares he cares yeah. more you know because he's been here so I don't know I think we should always always try and make players reach the first team and then if they don't quite reach it then then we're going to give him a career and sell them
1: somewhere else but they, hopefully we'll get very close <laughs> Well, this week's Patreon show is all about City's Academy. Players who made it, players who didn't quite make it at City, and players who could make it at City still in the future. And you can get that for just $2 per month. That's about £1.60 if you're in the UK. And if you're back at that level, you'll also get all of our previous Patreon bonus shows as well. So there's plenty to keep you entertained there. Seasons and seasons worth of shows. Here's a taster of what's on today. What's the pick of of, of big players that made it from the Academy to the first team? Uh, Micah Richards. Um, Has to be
2: Micah. Uh, Another, just once again uh incredibly likable um uh that that smile that kind of approach to football and I actually watched the six-one back the other day, um, and you forget how how devastating he was going forward. He like, was imperious that day. Yeah, he was. Um, he was just a battering ram, wasn't he? Like genuinely horrible to try and defend against. Because I mean, I, I've forgotten how much he used to just go hang, which I loved. At the amount of times, <laughs> he'd just he'd just be kind of up alongside the centre forwards, like, and he, he just loved to seem to doing that. You're thinking, "Get back, my gift," but he was always jogging back as well, wasn't he? But but that day, yeah, I mean. I've forgotten all, it all came rushing back to me when I watched that, that game because I thought Micah just used to literally barge people off the ball like you just run through people that physicality and that pace and but I mean for a while we were really blessed weren't we with him and Zabba um, yeah. battling each other but I mean obviously Zabba's consistency and well stronger muscles I guess in the end kind of uh went out but Micah a huge success story and just, I love him. Once again, the guy you loved. I mean, he was. I know it, this shouldn't matter and stuff, but he was the kind of guy as well that made watching City's YouTube content really fun because he was such an affable character, and he he seemed to just really light up the dressing room as well. And um, he seemed to be, it, have a great kind of demeanor with the fans and stuff as well.
1: Yeah, it was genuine as well, wasn't it? It wasn't. Yeah, it course. wasn't kind of like this enforced PR view. It was very much a. This is what Michael Richards is like. He just
2: seems like a nice guy, <laughs> once again, there's a, and stuff like that goes a long way, because there's a lot of cynicism um, in football, and it's hard not to get swept up in it all, but sometimes you just see a guy who just, you know, who seems like a decent guy, who just wants to have a laugh, and literally just wants to have fun, and uh, and I kind of admire that, Um I, I actually think he cares as well, he seems like he seems to care about people, and the other day, Micah as well was replying to um, the Man's, uh, Man City Food Bank, uh, set up by our friends, you know, like, uh, and the fact that Mike is kind of get involved in that shows he's still got that character right now you know, still got the heart and just a, a, to be honest at his best a very good player as well yeah. I mean wasted waste potential maybe but still a very good player
1: I always felt like the sliding doors moment for him was when um, I think it was Glenn Johnson got picked ahead of him for was it Euro 2012 it must have been Euro 2012 because he then played yeah, in yeah, the yeah. Olympics in uh, London and got injured. And that was what started off his, his spiral of, of, of injuries for, 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 but that set him off leaving City in the end. And I just felt really bad for him because if he'd got picked for England, who knows what would have happened at that point.
2: Yeah, 100%. Because... Um, yeah, he was on the yacht, wasn't he? Just didn't happen for him. But uh, as you said, a lot of players have that kind of sliding door moment. And that was his, unfortunately. Yeah.
1: He. Um, I, I remember it, that it, it seems crass to talk about Michael Richards and talk just about the injuries. But I just remember that that Swansea game. Uh, Tevez scored from long range. And there, uh, I think it was Michel goal for uh, for Swansea at the time, got injured at the, uh, trying to save it. And he was. He must have been down for about oh, eight, nine minutes or so. Because I remember thinking there's going to be a lot of added time to this game. And then about ten minutes later, Micah Richards just goes down in the in the city box completely with nobody around him, like nothing going on, and the entire stadium just went, "Oh no, what's that, what's?" It's only like his third or fourth game back, so it's just like, "Oh, yeah, what on earth is is, is this going to be now?" And then he was down for about ten minutes. I just remember the board going up, and it was like I can't remember the exact figure, but I just remember the stadium announcement being like that there'll, there'll be 19 additional minutes. I just got like, "We've never seen this before. What what on earth do we do now?" Because <laughs> they take the clocks away. <laughs> you remember a lot more than I
2: do But you've got like uh like, encyclopedic memory. I feel like you remember it was Michael, Michelle Vaughn as well in goal. It might um, not have like, been, I'm I'm guessing on that one. But I mean my memory of Michael Micah Richards is just a period when he could never get fit again. And that probably was probably that moment you're you're referring to there. I mean I'm really bad with specifics more than about three years old, you know, gambling, <laughs> unfortunately. But like um but Micah, yeah. It just you, you. I think it was around then you started to get the sense. You like, oh, this isn't going to work out anymore, is it? This, this seems to be cursed. And um, what is it with us and cursed bombarding fullbacks? I oh, you know no, but, exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, another one for another area, sadly. But yeah, yeah. I would have played it though.
1: Right, it's my uh, my second pick for for players that made it big. I'm I'm going to go a bit left field with this one because uh, I always th- you say wasted potential. I I reckon this guy fits perfectly in that category. Um, but I thought for for a spell, Stephen Island was brilliant for City. <laughs>
2: yeah. I think was Superman, man. What a guy! Um, yeah, it just well, do you remember that that season alongside Rabinho and stuff like that, um, which is weird that Steven Island, you know, was that good alongside such a such a player. But that that season, um, I mean, we don't know what f- uh, fueled that season, shall I say? But we, um, he probably should have won Young PFA Player of the Year. Genuinely, like yeah. he, was, he was up there for it. Um, so so good. I mean, such a strange rise and then kind of disappearance, kind of almost overnight. But um, for I mean, he was intelligent. Uh, the quality of his finishes as well. I mean, was it like I might be, I'm trying to do a you here? And remember <laughs> really well, but I, I seem to remember was it a last minute winner or something like? Not a last minute winner, like a, a curled, curled effort. Was it like Dave Reading or something like that?
1: What you point in the top corner? Oh no, it, it was an absolutely stonking volley. Yeah. Was it a volley? Was yeah, it a volley? yeah. Yeah. It I was. It was, a, like, it was a beauty. Yeah. Was it Reading? It was Reading. It was understood. Yeah. That's.
2: There we go. I remember that one. I knew I remember something Bradley but like, uh, <laughs> but i, I yeah, I remember that one and going wild. But that was what he was like, wasn't he? The quality of his um, his movement. Um, I feel like uh, Stephen Ireland was uh, probably about 15 years too early before the 3-8 kind of transition. You know, like where you've got these players now who can be box-to-box kind of thing, whatever. Like, if it, I think the style that City play, and obviously he was nowhere near City's level, but like the style that City play now where you've got someone like De Bruyne and David Silva who both, they're neither a number 10 or a number 6. They can do a bit of both. That's what I think kind of he need, probably needed to be in a team like that. But then obviously he had his issues, didn't he, personally, yeah. um, unfortunately. But for a while, just some severe talent there, genuinely, but we're one.
1: Yeah, I always thought he, um, the, the, the kind of reaction that he showed from, it was I think the 8-1 defeat at Middlesbrough. I think I, I remember seeing a, an interview with him where he was saying, uh, you know, I, just after that game, I was driving back, uh, I was on my own driving home and just thinking, you know, this can't go on. We can't, we can't put in a show like that again. That yeah, was just, yeah. It was just embarrassing. And I think he spent all of that summer um, like training on, on a different training regime. He came back under Mark Hughes and just absolutely blitzed the next season. And then it was, it was the kind of transfer between Hughes and Mancini that he just, Mancini just obviously never took to him.
0: For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of City topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
1: A taster there of uh, this week's Patreon special and we're going to move on and when City returned to the Premier League under Kevin Keegan the manager wanted somebody who would be able to lead the line and score goals that wouldn't just keep his side in the top flight but someone who would secure them a top half finish. The boss broke the club's transfer record to bring in centre forward Nicholas Anelka after he'd been on a loan spell at Liverpool the year before. I spoke to him last year to discuss his time in Manchester. This time
4: Ali Benabia was there so I think uh, he convinced me more than uh, Kevin but because Kevin was there also I know he was a striker a very good striker one of the best and I wanted to, so, to, to work with him so the combination of uh, Ali and uh, and Kevin made me uh, sign here what was, what was it like arriving at a, a club that had just been promoted? It was a bit strange for me because you know uh, I came from uh, Liverpool uh, but you know I, I knew I had to do the the style on the pitch, you know, at this level you have to do it. You have to be focused and give everything. This is and it's, this is exactly what I did. When in One of your first games, you scored a hat trick against
1: uh, Everton. That, that
4: helped you settle down. Well, it's always good to uh, to start when. Uh, I needed it because you know uh, it's a when I, when you are new in the club and you and you you've be, you you've been for a big signing. And a lot of pressure and you need to, to be good on the pitch and it was very good to, uh, to score three goals of course
1: what do you remember about the final derby at Main Road you opened the scoring in that game yeah
4: it was amazing because you know you, when you when you sign for, for City you know there's one game uh, and you cannot uh, miss uh, and uh, you know it's going to be hard and it was uh, a special day because it's something I will never forget because I saw in you know city highs the fans. They were like so happy to, uh, to first to score against uh, United, but to win because the most important at the end it was not me to score, it was to win against United, and uh, it's something I will never forget. What what was the pressure going
1: into that game? With it being the final one at Main Road, uh, it's like a final.
4: You know, when you when you speak to people, you are a true uh, uh, city player when you score against United, and when you win, it's even more. So it was we know we knew it was uh, I knew it was like a, a big game. A hard game, third game, but uh, at the end it was very good because we won in and scored. Uh,
1: and what was the move to, to the Etihad like in uh, 2003?
4: Well, it was, it was good. It was a good stadium, bigger stadium than the, 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 the old one. It's, uh, it was the beginning of the new club because it was almost a new club, you know, with the, the new chairman and everything. And we, knew, we, uh, we, we loved the, the, the stadium, the, the new one. And the pitch was good as
1: well, and it was no, it was It was nice. City and Liverpool this season are, are quite close rivals. Uh, you actually scored City's last winning goal at Anfield. How, I mean, it's so long ago, but it, it's. It, how do you feel about that? Well, it's a shame because uh, I,
4: I would have uh, preferred somebody
1: uh, score a goal and
4: win against uh, uh, Liverpool uh, away. But uh, no, I'm glad. You know, I'm glad because uh, I mean I did something uh, good for, for City. How how did uh, how did it feel coming back to the Etihad with uh, Bolton with Chelsea? Strange, because for me it was my club, and uh, it was strange to, to come to come back here because I, I was not wearing the City shirt and also to score against uh, City uh, here was, uh, well, it was a bit strange but you know it's uh, part of a uh, uh, football player you know you, are, you have to give everything for your club and uh, I did it in my life because I, I've been uh, playing for so many teams so I was always focusing my, for, my, for my team with who I played but uh, I will never forget uh, City what was Kevin Keegan like to work with? Very good. He was a striker, uh, one of the best. And uh, when you are striker, you, you work with him. Uh, it was fantastic because you know you can enjoy the the, the training, and uh, we were doing like uh, spe- specific stuff on uh, you know for the strikers, and he was one of the best. How did the move to Fenerbahce come about? Well, I wanted to play Champions League, and uh, this time with uh, City, it was not uh, happening. So that's why um, I decided to, uh, to go and play Champions League and uh, to play for the Turkish League, because nobody wanted uh, to sign me in, uh, in England, so I, uh, I had a chance to go there and I signed.
0: Hear all of our City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com.
1: Nicholas and Elka there, um, Stephen. I've been asking guests to pick the interview for uh, that that we dip back to from the archive. Uh, so why an Elka? Why did you pick an Elka?
2: Um, because he was really, really good. <laughs> so like, <laughs> and I just, I just remember thinking, um, this guy's too good for Man Um, just genuinely too good. And um, I think, uh, I always, I have a fond fun mem- uh, like memory of that era in general. I know it wasn't like, um, I, I, I think Keegan made a lot of mistakes when we came back up um, to the Premier League. Um. I don't think Anelka was one of them. Um, I think he was one of the actual successes. Uh, we signed a bunch of you know, experienced players that were meant to then you know, do see us better in the Premier League and that kind of stuff. And I think we actually unsettled a lot of what was great about the club. But I think Anelka was one of the successes. I think he was um, a fantastic player. And also, just because I... I always loved the fact that Anelka once played alongside Gota and we won in a derby. <laughs> something about that is just just wonderful, you know. Like, um, I think mean, I don't know. It's just something about that that is really romantic, and um, I just I liked him. Um, he was sulky, he was moody, but he was immensely talented, and um, he was far too good for that City team, in my humble opinion. Um, I always I always actually, forget
1: how young he was when he arrived at City. You know, he, he was still he'd only broken through at Arsenal a few years earlier, and then he was like already, how old?
2: He like twenty three or something?
1: Yeah, it's like. like twenty twenty three, twenty four ish.
2: I'm just looking now, you know, and like his second ever highest goal scoring season was at Man City. He scored 25 one year for Chelsea, yeah, uh, but he scored 24 in the O three O four season for City, um, one and two in the Premier League as well. Um, he was really good. He was just a very good player. And he was young. He was at the start of the career. Um, I can't. I can't remember the reasons why he left in the end. Um, I can't, you probably remember better than I will, but he, I remember going to find But I can't really remember why we got rid Was it just the wages thing or something like that? I, I
1: honestly, I don't know why City. Um... Uh, kind of did it I, I I spoke when I asked him about it in that interview he, he just kind of said the opportunity came up and it didn't really kind of give any insight into into whether him and Keegan didn't see eye to eye anymore or whether yeah. you know he wanted a, a higher wage than the City could offer Um, it, it just I, I remember I remember when he left being quite upset by it though to be honest because I thought like, yeah, who same. who's, who's going to score the goals Robbie Fowler's not scoring the goals so who's going
2: to do it yeah never no, was Macken or whatever yeah. Yeah. was Macken, Macken there still, Macken was
1: still I think Macken was still there at that point yeah
2: yeah, I mean, we 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 signed some duds, and Fowler was the one who should have gone to anyone really. But I I, I like Tanaka. Okay, I mean, I think he was a. Uh, looking back, I mean, he was a, a glimpse of the quality, I guess, that we didn't really know was around the corner. Um, because he was, you know, quality. He was high quality, and um, and weirdly, actually, his, his highest goal scoring season was for Chelsea when um, City started getting the money, I guess. So he was definitely, you know. Good, if he had been in Manchester City then he would have been good enough to be very useful for us put it that way um, but I just liked him I thought he was really graceful really elegant I, I loved his nonchalant style I kind of like arrogant players a little bit I mean <laughs> he could be a little bit lazy but I think he worked harder than people let on to be honest I think um, given where we were and given we were a bit of a shambles of a club um, given where he'd been you know PSG and Liverpool and Arsenal and Real Madrid and you know all these high profile clubs and City at the time were a bit you know a bit all over the place um, I think we got very lucky to get him. Um, and, you know, he, he kept us up with the goals. Um, so I, I just liked him a lot. I thought he was a very very fun player to watch. Uh, I remember that, I always remember that goal as well against Blackburn from the, the stupid angle. Oh, through um, was it through
1: Brad Friedel's legs?
2: Friedel's, through Friedel's legs, yeah. Um, and I just, I just remember that goal. And I really remember loving that goal because he was very Anelka. And obviously, the, the famously, the last ever winning goal the at Anfield.
1: Yeah, I was um I was I was in the away end for the Blackburn one, not for the Anfield one. I, I, I couldn't can't claim yeah. that one. Uh but uh I was in the away end for the Blackburn one. And that game I only ever remember it for Tarnat's free kick and you've just I completely forgotten oh, yeah. that Anelka got the winner. Yeah, you're right. Um Yeah, yeah. Just a final question on on Anelka before we move on. Do you think he was he underappreciated at City?
2: I think he was. Yeah. I think mean, he was. I mean, his, his stats really speak for themselves at City. He was a goal scorer. He scored plenty of goals for us. Yeah. He was a bit sulky, but I mean, I guess I would be if I was, you know, if I'd been where I'd been and I hadn't quite, you know, made it or whatever. And I guess also he, he he kind of very much had to do on his own quite a lot. Um, we weren't, we weren't that bad, but like um, he was definitely a little bit too good for us, I reckon. Um, and he, he seems to, you know, he seems to have a, a good feeling towards the club still, um, which is nice. Um, Enigmatic and a bit sulky, but... I kind of like players that have a bit of personality. Person, you know, like I mean, I don't think he's a bad guy by any stretch. Just a bit moody, and I've got nothing against that. Really, um, good player. Uh, He spent probably, you know, he spent a good, good three seasons at City. Scored quite a lot of goals for us, um, and did some pretty special things. So
1: I think he's definitely underappreciated. That's the panel time. Get your questions in for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or you can email us through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, that's how Jeff Rhodes has been in touch. Uh, he asks, is it me or does it feel like Sane might not be moving to Bayern Munich after all? I thought it was all but certain last summer but something tells me he might be staying at City when we get going again after all.
2: Yeah, it's, um it does there's a lot of rumours there's a lot of things coming out isn't it where like like Bayern's kind of uh, reliable journalists are saying oh the question is commitment which I'm starting to wonder is actually we're skin and we can't afford to pay the money that they want him to you know that we've going to pay now because everyone's skin I guess and football's going to be massively hit by this I reckon There's financially football clubs are going to be you know, ruined. And also, I think there's a moral aspect where they're going to be a little bit nervous about spending a shit ton of money on transfers because. Doesn't look because good if you've just people... furloughed your staff, does it? <laughs> Ex- exactly. I think a lot of clubs are going to be um, using it as an excuse to kind of batten down the hatches a little bit. Um, could be a good time to be academy player, actually, genuinely. Um, because I think some of these lads are going to get a chance because clubs can't afford. I mean, it will be back. Of course, it will be back eventually. But I think uh, money's going to be in. Uh, money's going to be low and I'm almost certain City probably could pay higher wages than Bayern could and I reckon you never know you know football changes a lot of things and uh, football changes a lot or it'll change an awful lot and players change a lot you know we forget that they're human and they'll spend a lot of time at home they'll have a lot of time to think their priorities may shift a little bit um, it's going to be really weird when we come out of this with footballers to see where their heads at because a lot of them will either go, like, I'm not really happy what I've got because they'll take stock and think, this is not really for me. Or they might go, Do you know what? My life's pretty good. And this club looked after me during a horrible time. And I just kind of want to get on with things, you know. So Sardi could be one of them. He's got, you know, got a young family himself. Um, he lives over here. And you might think I just fancy staying here now. So who knows.
1: It's it's funny as well because um if you'd have asked me this just you know heading into the community shield at the start of this season I'd have said oh well you know Sane might play against Liverpool but I'm more than certain that by the end of this transfer window he'll be a Bayern Munich player. I'd have said yeah. that the breakdown in relationship between him and the club or him and, and Guardiola, looking from the outside, I'd have said, well, honestly, I, I, think, I think it's irreparable. But then you think back yeah. to, to, to Guardiola's first season and how that, that very public spat he had with Yaya and then Yaya goes on yeah. to be one of, the, one of the most important players for him that season. You, you can never say never, and you, yeah, you can, you, can never, you can never kind of say that, that anybody's really done at a football club. No,
2: I mean, and time is a healer. You know, time is a great healer. People, people forget why they're angry over time, and especially, especially during an era like this where you've had so much emotionally going on. Like any issues there between those, teams might start to feel a bit trivial. I think basically a lot of players have gone through an awful lot of perspective shifting from this, and I think there's going to be a lot of water under the bridge um, because people are just going to. I think a lot of people are going to grow up, grow up an awful lot during this. Yeah, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if during moments like this, the squad and the team and the players. They'll pull together. They're all in the WhatsApp groups together and they'll just be checking on each other and uh, Guardiola will be checking on them and vice versa. And I think we could see uh, a lot of positives in terms of how I think they'll all be like, do you know what? Whatever's happened in the past, it's silly. I'm just glad you're all right, mate. You know, that kind of attitude. And I'm hoping, um, and I'm not saying this just because I want Sane to stay, but I'm just generally saying this because I want people and and footballers and everyone else just to maybe hopefully just see the positives of this so that we can all look at each other a little bit more and maybe maybe there'll be element of that i mean maybe i'm getting too you know uh, too behavioral or something like that or <laughs> too a little bit you know but i genuinely think society will change a little bit after this even for a short period of time i think um it's just not going to be what it we know when it comes back football won't just be back to what it was because this is just it's just it's too big it's too big it's going to change everything i reckon yeah.
1: And uh, a nice little fun one to finish, I think, uh, from Alison Wilson on the email. She asks, "Which previous manager would you like to have seen have a go at building a city side funded by Sheikh Mansour?"
2: Brian Horn. I he <laughs> was
1: he was my go-to as well, but yeah, I changed I, look, I, I changed like my mind Horton. at the last minute.
2: Go on, who did you go for? Kevin Keegan. Oh yeah, that would be fun, wouldn't it? Um, they're essentially the same person, <laughs> no, they're not really, but like very similar approach. Um, I actually think um, Brian Horn was a bit more balanced than Kevin Keegan, weirdly, but. But yeah, Kevin Keegan with that money, bloody hell, that would be something special, wouldn't it? He'd he'd, he'd, have, just... he'd have
1: spent so much on players that never played, but he'd have got the team that he wanted, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, eventually, yeah, yeah. I don't know why I thought Brian Horton deserved the kind of money. Like uh, that, that was my my first City team, really. You know, looking back, um, there was ones before that, but I remember that's the one I really remember. Yeah. And I love that Brian Horton team. Um, you know, with with Paul with Paul Walsh and was he even there, Paul? Walsh? Was Paul was Walsh. Paul yeah. people that, yeah, Paul Walsh, Peter Begree. Um, Nicky Somerby as well was was good in Nicky that Summerby. scene Nicky yeah, um, I yeah uh, who was in field Lomas was it yeah Steve Lomas was cracking player and then then we had the obviously the Brightwell brothers uh, in goal was Tony Cotan Keith Curl was just a, I mean it might, it might be a year or two I was some on those players but that's the year I remember of Manchester City because I was about nine then and I, that's when I started going to games with my dad and my first game was 2-1 win at Swindon at home uh, I think I think I think that might have been the year before, maybe. Um, but I just remember loving that team. It was just so much fun. And um, we were just entertainers. And thats I feel lucky that I started going to games when City were fun, you know, as opposed to was some kids he probably joined when Stuart Pierce's manager worked it was just <laughs> like, dad dying. why are we but... go into this <laughs> yeah why this is not fun this is torture but yeah imagine Keegan with that money Keegan that would be ridiculous yeah
1: be... Uh, a friend of mine and he does the show quite a lot KC uh, often says that um, he'd have liked uh, that, that final Pellegrini season when we knew that uh, that Guardiola was coming in and Pellegrini wasn't working for him should have just sacked him and give it uh, Keegan to the end of the <laughs> season just to see what happened <laughs>
0: imagine <laughs> would have been great. What, what, what a guy yeah
1: Uh, Right, well that's it for this week's Blooming Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Please give the show a rating and a review in all of the usual places and if you'd like to become a Patreon backer then you can sign up to our bonus shows at just $2 a month. That's about £1.60 at the moment. This week's, as you heard a taster of earlier, is all about the successes and the not-so-successes of the City Academy. Thanks to my guest this week, Stephen McInerney. Stephen, remind us where we can uh, get your videos and you're on Twitter and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, youtube.com forward slash esteemed
2: company for um, some Manchester City videos and my Twitter's um, at Stephen McInerney crossing content at the moment though so I wouldn't really bother really uh, well if you're, if you're
1: enjoying Animal <laughs> Crossing I'm sure a lot of people are as well
2: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but yeah it's just Man City Videos at a steam company um, and it's just good stuff
1: so you know go for it good stuff uh, right so uh, thank you very much for joining me I'll be back next week see
0: you then